I'm super excited for this morning um, because we're going to start a new series. Um, we're going to be going through uh, the Sermon of the Mount. And as I say, we, we're starting a new series. I'm aware that there might be this transition in our mind that we're starting something new. And while we might be starting something new when it comes to the Sermon of the Mount, may I just say that the theme that we've been going through this year, that the Sermon of the Mount is a building on, is a continuation of the theme that we feel that God has given us for this year. And for those of you who might be new, um, who might not remember, uh, our theme that we've been going through and what we feel is that God has called us back to our first love. And what this looks like is that we need to come back for a pursuit of more of Jesus. That there is this danger that we as a church might fall into, that we become about all the glitz and glamour, about the programs and events that we run, rather than focusing on Christ. And so what we feel as leadership and as a church is that God has called us back to our first love, and we feel that this is done in three ways. One, that we need to be a people that love up. And when we say love up, what we mean by that is we are a people who desire, persevere, seek, pursue Christ. That we want to love Him and grow in our love for Him, grow in our knowledge of Him, and love Him more. But if you had to ask me, Joe, out of the three, and we'll discuss the other two now, which ones are the most important, I would say this one is. And the reason why I say this one is the most important is because we can't effectively do the other two if we don't have this one right. And so there's this deep need for us as a church that God is calling us back to, man, we need to love Him. Let's grow in our knowledge and love of Him. And when we do that, there is also this need for us to love in. And when we say love in, we talk about this, this need for us to love as a church, love each other, love one another, as I have loved you, says Jesus. And so we need to make sure that we love in community, that there's this community that we need to grow in. But also we need to love out that we need to have a genuine love for those um, who are not part of this church, who are not part of the body of Christ, that we need to love the outsider, showing them the love of Christ and being the light and salt of the world that we need to be to them. And so there's a series that we're going to be going through of the Sermon of the Mount, and Christ is going to be showing us and teaching us in these three chapters of the next couple of months, probably even longer than that, of how are we going to implement this? How are we going to do that? And what's great about those of you who are new is that we get to start that today, so you get to be part of it from the beginning. But also, uh, for those of you who do not know Christ, this is quite a unique and exciting opportunity for you as well. And I say unique and exciting because there is this opportunity for you to get to know whether or not this Jesus thing is real or not. Maybe you've been dragged here by your wife or your spouse this morning, um, Maybe you are just a person that is going, man, is Jesus, this whole Jesus thing real or not? Um, this is an opportunity for you to take at least the very next half an hour to decide whether or not this Jesus thing is real. Because if us, what we say as Christians is right, if there really is a God that is uh, the creator of all this universe, that loves us unconditionally so much so that when we rebelled against him, he would send his son to come and die for us on the cross, bearing our sin, our guilt, our shame upon him. If this is right and that we get to be saved if we believe in this Jesus, and one day we will be judged whether or not we know him or don't, and that would determine whether we go to heaven or hell, then surely this is the most valuable thing that you can possibly figure out. 
if we are not mad hatters that are crazy, and if most of us in this room have genuinely experienced this God, then maybe at least for the next half an hour, you can just focus in. And here, is this Jesus thing real? But my plea for you would be that you'd spend the series doing this. Because this is an amazing sermon by Jesus showing who he is, a bit about his character and who he is, but also showing about the, what the Christian life is. And so he has this unique opportunity for the for this three chapters that we are going to go through over the next couple of months is that we are going to figure out more about that. And would you, if this is right, if we are right, would you come and figure that out. But also for those of us who do know Christ, this is super important. Because here Jesus gets to show us how do we pursue Him? How do we effectively return to our first love? But before we dive into this chapter and into the sermon, is that we need to prepare our hearts for it. We need to make sure that our hearts, the soil, is ready for the sermon. And the reason why I say that is because If we aren't ready, if our minds aren't prepared and our hearts aren't ready for what Jesus has to say to us through the sermon, we're going to feel like we're going to hit by a freight train, by a brick house, by a bus, because Jesus starts off this sermon and from the very word go all the way to the end, he comes out guns blazing. He comes out firing. He starts off the sermon, and we'll discuss it more next week, more in detail, but he he talks about how blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Jesus says, blessed are those who are empty in themselves. Blessed are those who have realized the depth of their sin. Blessed are those who have let go of themselves. I mean, he starts off with that, and that's the rest of how the rest of the sermon goes. And if our hearts aren't ready, we're going to tap out and quit before this even starts. And so we need to make sure that our hearts are ready to hear more of who this Jesus is. Do we want him? And ultimately, that is the only requirement for the sermon, is do you want more of Jesus? Do you want him? Because if you don't, the sermon is going to be too hard for you to hear. And by this sermon, I mean the Sermon of the Mount. It's going to be too hard for you to hear. Do you want him, church? That is the only requirement that we need when we come to the sermon is do you want Jesus? And with that in mind, let us uh, turn to our text this morning. We're going to be mainly looking at, uh, we're going to be looking at three texts. Matthew 3 verses uh, 15, uh, sorry, 16 and 17. Then Matthew 4, the very next chapter, verses 18 to 22. And then Matthew 5 verse 1, the start of the Sermon on the Mount. We'll look at that. Let us read Matthew 3, verses 16 to 17. It says this. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from him, and he he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming and resting on him, or remain on him. And behold, the voice of heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Again, in in Matthew 4, verses 18 to 22, this is talking about Jesus here. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is uh, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left the nets and followed him. 
And going from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Matthew 5 verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. His disciples came to him. And this is my first point this morning is that first and foremost, what, who we are as Christians is that we are followers and disciples of Jesus. We are followers and disciples of Jesus. We see this in Matthew 28 verse 19 when Jesus gives us the great commission to go out in all the world. What does he say? Go and make disciples. He doesn't say go and make Christians, but he says go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them all that I've commanded you and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Really, the word Christian only comes a whole lot later in um, Acts 11, where uh, in the city named Antioch are Christians, then uh, the followers of Christ are called Christians. We see in uh, Acts 22 that Paul calls them followers of the way. So before we were called Christians um, in the New Testament, we were called followers of Christ, followers of the way, disciples. But the question that we have this morning is, what are we following? What are we following? Who are we following? Are we following systems and codes? Do we arrive here on a Sunday because that's what we need to do on a Sunday? Go to every meeting, uh, every prayer meeting, uh, every uh, cell group meeting. We do that. Now, those things, don't hear me wrong, those things aren't wrong in and on themselves, but it's our motive behind them. Where do we find our identity? Do we find our identity in who we are in Christ and pursuing Him? And that's why we go to these things. Or do we find our, our joy and our identity and our satisfaction because we've come to church this week and therefore that's okay? Do we find uh, and do we follow uh, people and po uh, famous pastors and ministers? Man, this is a big one in the church. We love to turn on TBN or the God channel and particularly watch certain men and certain people preach. We go into come books and we see all the popular people. Man, if you're a non-Christian this morning and you've come here because you've been dragged here and you say that Christianity is about a fan club, we can forgive you with that because so often we follow people rather than Christ. And the way, this might not be a massive thing in the hearts, but the way we can tell whether or not this is something for us, and this is an issue in our hearts, is when somebody comes and stands up in this pulpit, and it's not a certain person that you would like to hear that you turn off, that you can't hear from God because it's not someone you want. And that shows that, man, there might be, we following people rather than Christ. And church, may I say, I know I've only been here for a month, but never follow me. God help us if you follow me. Follow Christ. Follow Christ. The next thing is, are we obsessed with our blessings? Do we, do we follow the blessing rather than the blesser? That we are a people that are striving after a, a, a goal in life and so that therefore we need Christ for this goal. Is he, is he, something, is, is he someone that's just going to give us success and, and comfort rather than pursuing the person who gives us those things? This is the prosperity gospel that preaches, man, you can have comfort always. You can have health if you just have enough faith. And if you ever get sick, it's, not because, of, uh, it's because of your lack of faith. 
that you always will be successful in everything you put your hand to. This is a false gospel, church. And often what, it tingles our desires and tingles what we want, and therefore we pursue it rather than pursuing Christ. Are we pursuing those things rather than Jesus? And this one speaking to me here, do we follow doctrine? Do we follow doctrine? Man, don't hear me wrong. I love doctrine. I love theology. The books I read, the only books that I read are, are books that teach me more about who God is and who I am in Him. I love theology and doctrine. But the danger is that sometimes we pursue doctrine rather than what the doctrine is talking about. As with our Baptist heritage, we are called what? People of the book. May I suggest to you that that's the wrong emphasis. That sometimes we become so focused on knowing our, the, the scripture, and, and hear me out, that is brilliant. But become followers of, of the word rather than followers of the one in which the word is pointing us to. We miss it just by an inch. We miss it. Martin Lloyd-Jones, commenting on this, says that we become so perfectly orthodox that we uh, we've, are so perfectly orthodox that we've become so perfectly useless. Michael Eaton says um, that we have sound doctrine, but at the same time, we are sound asleep. And that can be a danger. Doctrine is great. Learning and growing is good. But man, don't become followers of doctrine. Rather, become followers of Christ. Because the reason why those Christians were called Christians, those followers of Jesus were called Christians, is because they had a massive desire and pursuit for Jesus. Their hunger and thirst for Him. They want to live for Him, to know Him more, to experience Him burned so much in them that it resulted in the way they spoke. It resulted in the way they lived. So that when those that are outside saw them, they went, those are little Christs. Those are little Christs. Those are Christians. And they were given those names. They didn't give themselves that name because of the way they lived and the way they pursued Jesus. If you're wanting to know how to be born again this morning to get rid of your sin and all your shame and to inherit eternal life, it is in the person Jesus. It's not in this concept. It's not in this idea. It's not in church attendance. It's in the person Jesus. This person whom we can know, have a relationship with, pursue. It is in Jesus and Jesus alone. There's this wonderful verse in John 1 verse 12 that says, And all who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of man, nor the will of flesh, but the will of God. We have this opportunity to have Christ, to need him, to want him. And when we know this and when we get to know this Jesus, we get to have salvation. If you do not know Jesus... You do not know salvation. If Jesus is not precious to you, then you do not know salvation. Because if you know that Christ is your Savior who's come and saved you from your sins, surely He is precious. Surely you would not let Him go because He has saved you for, uh, from all eternity from hell, but He saved you into heaven so that you might have a relationship with Him and know Him. He is precious. We see in, in Colossians 2 verses 1 to 3, uh, Paul makes these says these amazing things about the treasure and majesty and preciousness of Christ. 
He says this, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Lacedaemon, and for all of uh, who have not seen me face to face. And here it is, that their hearts, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knitted together in love, that all the riches of full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of Christ, God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. There's this treasure that we get to have, this great treasure in knowing Christ. He is precious, he is valuable, and you can know him. And the greatest thing that we can do is gaze upon this glory and know this Christ, and know this Christ. And the whole purpose of the Sermon of the Mount is that we would draw close to Jesus because we want him. I want you to look, if you, if you just gaze back in your Bible, right at the end of, of chapter 4 in Matthew, right at the end, we see Jesus has just chosen the disciples, and what does he do? He starts to go out and cast all the demons out. He starts to heal the diseases. He starts to uh, do all of these things, and what happens is people from the surrounding areas, the surrounding provinces, towns start to come. They even start to come from Syria, bringing their sick, a magnitude, a crowd has developed, thousands of people are around Christ. And if we in our modern day and age had to see that, what we would say, this is success. Lord, look at all your followers. Look at all those who want you. And when all of these people are around, what does Jesus do? What we see in Matthew 5 verse 1, he sees the crowds. He looks at them and he moves himself from them. And he walks into a desolate place up on top of a mountain. And who comes? His disciples. Those who want him. Those who want him. And as a result, they desire him. They want Christ. They want more of him. And with their hearts being in this place of going, man, it was tough to get you to walk up this mountain, to walk all the way over here and pursue you. But it was worth it. With those hearts, Jesus goes, now you're ready for the Sermon of the Mount. Now you are ready to hear this. The others that did not want to follow the others that did not come up this mountain, man, they are not ready to hear what I'm about to say. And church, we need to make sure that our hearts want Jesus. Want Him. More of Him. Seek Him. If we are to have more of Jesus and to understand this sermon and to pursue it, to have Him more, then our hearts have to be in that space. Otherwise, we will quit. We will give up. And the practical outworking of this sermon is, is Romans 8 verse 23. It says we've been predestined to, to be made into the image of Jesus Christ. This is what it is, to be made into the image. This is what the sermon's going to do for us. But we have to want him. And if we want him to see this, what this practically looks like, what a life of the Sermon of the Mount looks like, we need to look at Jesus. There it is in the flesh. This is Christ. This is the Sermon of the Mount in the flesh for us to follow. And in order for us to figure this out and to do this, we need to make sure we look at him. And so this brings me to the first verse that I read um, in Matthew, uh, Matthew 3. Let's read it again. Verse 16. It says, And when Jesus was baptized, 
Immediately he went from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest on him. This is the one of the most significant moments in Jesus' life. The baptism. Baptism of the Holy Spirit comes and rests on him, remains on him, ungrieved. For the rest of his ministry, the Holy Spirit will remain on Christ ungrieved because he does not sin. And so the Holy Spirit is with him, empowering him so that he might go and be able to do the ministry in which God had called him to, in which the reason why he came, so that he might do that. But have you ever wondered why Scripture doesn't talk about Jesus' teenage ministry or teenage life? It kind of talks about his birth, a little bit of him as a child, talks about at age 12, and then we don't see scripture, in scripture again, it mention about Jesus until he's 30, until this moment when he is baptized again. There's none of those moments in scripture. And that's a bit strange considering James and John were the ones that wrote scripture. They were Jesus' half-brothers. They were part of Jesus' family. They grew up with him. Jesus was their older brother in which they looked up to. And, but why, would not, why wouldn't there be any of that mentioned? Because Matthew, in this book, could easily have spoken to those guys and said, hey guys, what's you, was Jesus like? What did he do? How was he like a kid? But Scripture doesn't talk about those things. And, and Matt Johnson was talking about this, and I find it quite an, an interesting point, and I think it's right, is that God in his sovereignty decided not to reveal that to us because it was already unavailable. But even Luke, the historian, who who did not know Jesus when Jesus was around, went and found out all the stories about Christ. He's so full of detail, Luke, because he was a doctor, he was a historian. He, He went and needed to put all the details in and he got it from mouth to mouth. Yet he did not feel that he needed to write about that because of the spirit that guided him in that. God in his sovereignty said no. Because why? Because God wanted us to look at the life of Christ filled with the Spirit and pursue and follow that. That's the life he wants us to imitate, the life of Jesus filled with the Spirit. And this is what the Sermon in Mount is about. And to know this is to mean that we need to be filled with the Spirit in order for us to fulfill the Sermon of the Mount. The Sermon of the Mount is the life of Christ filled with the Spirit. The Sermon of the Mount is what Christ wants us to live out, empowered by the Spirit to do so. If we come at this in our flesh, in our own strength, we will fail, church. We'll fail. Because the Sermon of the Mount is not law, but rather a step-by-step relationship with the Spirit on how to live that out. And so there's this need for us to come and live by the Spirit. We see this in the first beatitude. Again, we will talk about this more next week. Blessed are the poor in spirit. This is a work that can only be done by the Holy Spirit in our lives. The work of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of sin. To come and break down hard hearts. To soften it so that we might receive Christ. And so here he comes and breaks down the hard hearts that we have so that we might be ready for Jesus. From the word go, we need the Spirit in order to do this. To live this out. And the Holy Spirit in our lives is not just goosebump moments in which we have here at church. This is big. It's not just us singing songs and, oh man, I feel the Spirit in my life. 
The Holy Spirit is being led by Him and with Him daily through all aspects of our lives. Because the Sermon of the Mount is not just something we do here at church. It's something that we do in all our lives. At work, at home, where we play. This is what Christ expects of us to live out. And we cannot do it without the Spirit in our lives. We cannot. Because we will fail. And so the question that I have for you is, when was the last time you walked with the Spirit? Daily. Seeking Him. And I'm going to close with this is that essentially we have a choice in this matter. Like those men who, uh, like those people of the crowd, the multitude, as Christ is going and he's saying, follow me, come with me, you get to choose me. And ultimately we get to choose whether or not we're going to go with him or if that's too much effort, we'd rather do the things that make us comfortable to make us do the things that we want to do. But what we need to consider is this, is that all other things other than Christ will pass away. Man, the fame and the fortune that you are pursuing, it passes away. The career that you have, that you think is perfect, or the career that you're desiring and hoping it will be perfect, will pass away. Relationships and friendships will pass away. Everything else, the clothes, the glitz, the glamour, the house, the cars, will pass away. The only thing that won't is Christ. And so we need to make sure we pursue Him to make Him our number one. Will you want Him is the choice that we need to have. Will you want Him? Because we're called to love up. Pursue this Jesus. And may I say that this can only be properly done in community. To love Him. This can only be properly done when we do it in community. We see this in a passage in Ephesians, uh, in Ephesians 3. We see Paul's praying about the Corinthians that they may know the extent of, of who God is. And in Ephesians 3 verses 18 and a part of 19, he says this, praying to God, may they have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. He's praying here, Lord, may they know the love of Christ that is, surpasses all knowledge. May they know the depth of His love. May they know that regardless of how bad their situation is, how much in despair they find themselves in, how far they're down in the pit, that they would know that your love reaches that far. That they would know the extent of your love. That they would know it is broad, Lord. That no matter how far they might wander from you or slide down the proverbial slope of sin in backsliding down it, that they would know that the love of God reaches that far and can bring them back. That they would know the length of it, that it never, it never ever stops loving them. There's never a period in which the love of Christ in our life decreases just a little bit. Even when we go through hardships and difficulty, we see the steadfast love of God. I see that in, in Genesis, where, where Joseph is uh, thrown into prison. He's just thrown into prison. What does it say? And God's steadfast love was on Joseph. There's never a moment in which the love of God is not there for us. And there's a height to it that is endless. The giants that we face, the difficulties that we go through, that God's love is greater and bigger than it. But Paul says, may they comprehend this. 
May they know this. And, and man, we want this. Yes, I want to know this love that you have for us, Lord. But how does he say we receive it? He says, and achieve this. May they comprehend it with all the saints. Not individually. Not in isolation. Not by yourself. Man, yes, you might know Christ and experience his love by yourself. It is readily available to you. But may I say that you will cut yourself off at the limbs and how much you can know if you try to do it by yourself. You can only understand the extent of the love of Christ that he has for you in community. Why? Why is that? Because what has God saved us into? When we were slaves to sin, the death of Christ came and set us free and saved us into what? Into a family into a body and if we are to know the extent of the salvation that we have in christ the life that he has for us we cannot do it by ourselves we cannot we have to do it with others and we might sit here stubbornly this morning and say i don't need anyone else you might not need them to know christ but church what you're limiting yourself is less than what you can have and what do we want we want more of christ more of him more of him that's what we need to come to this passage. To know the love of Christ, the extent of it all. And the future of our church is staked on it. Depends on it. Because this call to return to our first love is seen in um, Revelation 3. Am I right? Revelation 3. Um, and God is talking to the church of Ephesus. He says, you've forgotten your first love and returns to me. And his promise is this, that he will bless them, yes. But if they don't, he will remove their lampstand. And church, we, we have been called by God to return to our first love, to want him. And if we ignore this, if we go, no, this is too difficult for me. I promise you, God does not care about a community that meets together, not for him. He does not care about this building, the, the, the projectors, the, the team that plays. The, he doesn't care if we gather together, but he, what he cares about is our hearts. That's what he wants. And if we don't go for him, we just become a rotary club. We just become a book club that meets. And I tell you about this book here, but not for God, not pursuing him. And he will remove our lampstands. Want him, please, church. Want him. And the best thing about this is an open invitation for all. Everyone can have it. It's not for the super holy. It's not for them, those who have been in church for 15, 20 years and know their Bibles backwards. Man, you might be in that moment where you feel you've backslidden. You haven't been in church for years. It doesn't matter. This call is for you. Do you want him? Maybe you've been coming to church regularly, but you, you just go, Joe, I just don't have that desire, man. Just don't have that heart burning in me. Want him. This is for you too. There's a refreshing and a renewal in which we have for the pursuit of more of Christ. We can have it. And this week, I, I pray that you will, you will go home and you will say, Lord, I, I need more. I want you. I want to want you. I want to want you more. Give me a stirring in my heart for more of Christ because that's what he wants and he will give it to you. Man, we, the elders will be up here and we'll pray for you. 
We'll pray for you and we'll ask the Lord to come and give you that desire. If you're feeling you are dry and weary and you just need more of Christ and you want it, come. We'll pray for you for that. For those of you who don't know Christ, this is an invitation for you as well. One for you to come and give your life to Jesus. It's open, readily available. Do you want him more, church? Because we're going to need to if we're going to do this right. Otherwise, we'll just give up and quit. But if we do this right, we will not only experience the life that God promises he'll give us in John 10, that I've come to give you life, but we'll experience the abundant life that he promises as well. The fullness of life, the purpose of life, we will get it and experience it more in its riches when we do this sermon. Let us pray. Lord, we, we come before you this morning, Lord, with a deep desire to have more of you. Lord, we acknowledge that, that sometimes we become dry and weary and we focus on other things, that other things take our attention, but we pray, Lord, that you would return our gaze and fix it on you. I pray, Lord, that you'd pour out your spirit upon us that we might be able to walk in your spirit to become more like Christ. We want more of Jesus, and so we need more of your spirit. And we pray, Lord, that you'd help us to do this in community, that we might love each other, live life together, pursuing you together. That you would give us the strength to do this, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.